Hello and welcome to Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah and I am definitely a small town person because I like fresh milk. Sure, that doesn't always go with a small town. Valid. I mean, not being someone who lives in a small town, I have all these preconceived notions and they definitely involve cows. <laughs> I'm Caitlin and I'm a small town person probably because I just moved to a town that's not small and I'm missing the cows, actually. So there you go. It's a theme. That's really... um, I'm Cameron, and I am also a small town person for many reasons. The first one that's going to jump to mind is I hate traffic. You just have cow traffic, so... <laughs> um, I'm Lori, and I'm also a small town person. And I'm from Wisconsin, so we got lots of cows. Lots and lots of them. Great. <laughs> Dreamland. <laughs> A big welcome to Lorianne Lee, the author of the Gates of Thread and Stone series and the Shaman Born series. Tell us about your books, Lori. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, um, the book that just came out is Broken Web, which is the sequel to Forest of Souls, which came out last year. Um, the Forest of Souls series is about a girl named Saoirse who is training to become the next royal spy. Um, but when she and her best friend are ambushed, her best friend gets caught in the crossfire and is killed. Then Saoirse somehow miraculously restores her to life. So she discovers that she is a soul guide with the power to shepherd souls, and she is tasked with destroying what's known as the dead wood, which is an ancient forest where the trees are possessed with vengeful spirits, and that are and they're slowly devouring the kingdoms. And Ooh. then, <laughs> and then in September, I have um, my first middle grade book, which is called Pahuan the Soul Stealer, and that one is about um, a young girl who has always been able to see spirits, and not in the sixth sense I see dead people kind of way, although she does see ghosts as well, but she can see nature spirits like dandelion spirits and tree spirits or guardian house spirits like the hearth and altar spirits or animal spirits. Her best friend is a talking cat. A cat spirit, but this gift leads her to accidentally unleashing a ghost child from a, their local haunted bridge. And as a result, this ghost child steals her brother's spirit. And so now Pahua has to venture into the spirit realm to retrieve her brother's soul before he's lost forever. Wow, that sounds so <laughs> fun. And when did you say that one was coming out again? That one will be out September 7th. Oh, that's so exciting. That's always fun to dig into a new book right when school's starting. I love that time. Oh, gosh. Is it? <laughs> like when school's starting? <laughs> fond memories of times past. Not so fond memories. Well, we have a, a very exciting discussion today. We wanted to talk a little bit about working with a smaller publisher, what it's like, what you can expect, um, tips and tricks for, for getting around. So to start us off, what do we mean by smaller publisher and where do you find them? Um, so a small publisher, and this is going to sound like flippant, but I promise it's not. It's a publishing house that does, in essence, what a large publisher does, but on a smaller scale. Um, like they don't release quite as many books a year as, say, HarperCollins. Um, but there is also a very wide range of what's considered small publishers. And I feel like I should, should also make a distinction between small publishers and micro publishers or micro presses, which put out very few year, very few books a year and very, like very small print runs. A small press can range from publishers like Soho Teen, which I think might actually be borderline mid-sized press, um, but they publish 
books like More Happy Than Not by Adam Silvera um, or Quirk Books, which published Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children by Ransom Riggs. But it like varies from publisher, small pubs like that to digital only publishers that release a lot of books but don't do uh, much print distribution. Like there's so such a wide range between small publishers, like publishers, some some only accept agented submissions and some don't. Like some will have in-house editors, design teams, marketing typesetters, like for example, Page Street has all those, but some will instead contract freelance editors and other staff. Sometimes they'll handle their own in distribution, but not always. Um, again, like for example, Page Street, which publishes Forest of Souls, um, is distributed by Macmillan. So that just means Macmillan handles the work of getting Page Street's books into bookstores and libraries and other retailers. Um, and Macmillan actually does that for a lot of small publishers, not just Page Street. And again, not to sound flippant, but thanks to the internet, you can literally just Google what some of the most reputable and well-known small publishers are. Um, there are directories that exist now that Specific, that specifically exists to provide that type of information for writers, which is very cool. Um, so it's really a very convenient time, I guess, to be in publishing and to have all those options available and to have such, to have that kind of information at your fingertips. Yeah, it seemed like, I mean, even just like 15 or more years ago, it would have been a lot more difficult to navigate the publishing industry. And that was part of the reason you needed an agent, because they were the only people who could direct you towards people who could publish your book. But now that's not the case at all. A lot of people in publishing are more accessible than ever. I don't know that that's a good thing, yeah, <laughs> but they are super accessible. <laughs> Yes. I mean, now agents just have to deal with like the volume because they are so accessible and, and editors too, like the, the like people can, can send them things so easily that there's a much higher volume, I would guess. Uh, the first time you used a smaller publisher, what were some things you were expecting and some things you weren't expecting? The thing is, we, I didn't like set out to go with a small publisher. I mean, when when we submitted my first book, Gates of Thread and Stone, to publishers, we just like did a wide submission to like all different publishers, um, and it went so it went to like the large houses like HarperCollins and like Macmillan and stuff, and it also went to the small publishers. And there were a lot of like there was a lot of interest across the board, but the one where ultimately it landed at a Skyscape, which is Amazon's YA imprint. See, the funny thing is that I, we actually submitted to uh, Marshall Cavendish which was a small publisher at the time. And they acquired my book. And then almost immediately I was told they were purchased by Amazon to be converted into their YA imprint. So I was just like, oh, so now I'm an Amazon author. Surprise. Um, oh my goodness. So that, I mean, they were so new that I would call them a small press, at least at that time, which is weird to call Amazon a small press, but like Amazon, the publisher with like the imprints, it's, it's a completely separate entity from Amazon, the retailer. So going into it, it was probably very different from what you would expect going with a different small publisher because I didn't know yet that they were such separate entities. And so I was like, well, what are they planning to do with the book? Is it going to be on is it going to be promoted on amazon.com you know what are what are what are they doing the experience turned out to be not at all what i expected i guess you could say but it is and that it's specific i think to amazon to being with amazon and 
And by that, I mean, <laughs> they're very, very good at selling books digitally, selling books on amazon.com specifically. Uh, they were also really, really cool with, um, different approaches to marketing. Like for example, a few other Skyscape authors and I put together a writing contest where we would invite students to submit samples of their work. Um, and the winner would get feedback on their work from each of us, as well as a classroom set of Kindles, which Skyscape agreed to provide. So that was really cool of them. That's like awesome. 30, yeah. 30 Kindles for like a whole great. classroom. So that was really cool that they were like so open to all these different approaches and, and like so they were so new so they're still trying different things the downside of being with skyscape was the stigma of being with amazon which is the enemy of brick and mortar bookstores um and that meant my book wasn't stocked in physical bookstores and in fact a lot of indies outright refused to host me for events or if they didn't refuse they required me to bring my own stock and it wasn't just bookstores that felt that way. It was also other authors, uh, which was really unfortunate. And of course, not all indies. There were some who were perfectly welcoming and really lovely, but definitely not the majority. And I don't blame them. I mean, on the one hand, they're absolutely right to feel the way they do about Amazon's negative impact on publishing. But on the other hand, I'm not sure punishing the authors who don't have anything to do with it helps that. So I don't know. But Skyscape... Oh, and another thing is that Skyscape and Amazon in print books are excluded from the New York Times bestseller list. So that's something to know if you ever, if for authors out there considering Amazon mm. as a publisher. So yeah, that was my experience with, you know, uh, my first small pub, Amazon being a small pub, which was very different from, I don't know that I had much, many expectations, but definitely it was just very different. I think that it's important to mention that I mean, like you said, they're really good at selling books, too, though. I have two friends who are with APUB, and they both do way better than, than I do because Amazon's 100% behind them. So, um, yeah, I think that that's really cool that you've got so many different, like, because you are at, like, Disney. <laughs> it's and definitely at, been a strange journey. But, um, Page you know. Street and also at Amazon. You've got, like, the most it. diverse experience of anyone I know. <laughs> oh. So, um, I, I mean, in that vein of thought like um how was being or how is at being at disney different you're at disney hyperion under the rick riordan imprint and then you're also at page street you mentioned a little bit about page street a minute ago when page street acquired forest of souls they were also still fairly new to ya um but they were quite established in like other areas of publishing mainly nonfiction. and particularly cookbooks which i found interesting, <laughs> interesting. Um, <laughs> but but they they're a genuine pleasure to work with like they included me in every step of the process and they don't have they don't have the kind of marketing budget that you might accept expect with a larger publisher but i still felt like they were doing everything they could for the book um like when we discussed things like the pros and cons of being with a small publisher which i, I assume we'll get into um i feel like everything applied accurately with page street um i loved every person that i worked with there it really felt welcoming and personalized but again, you're not going to get find the kind of marketing um, power that you might with a large publisher. But that doesn't mean they won't do anything for your book. They were planning to send me to ALA last year for a book signing and a luncheon, but 
then pandemic happened and nobody was going anywhere. They uh, created bookmarks and book plates and provided other swag for me to like give out to readers. And some major publishers won't even do that for their authors. So that was really great of them. That was really cool. And then with Disney, I've also genuinely loved working with Rick Ryder Presents. I feel like I've been really fortunate with my publishers in that they've all been really positive experiences. My editor uh, is amazing and everyone just cares so much about getting it right in terms of being like culturally sensitive because this specific imprint does focus on introducing different mythologies um, and folklore. So they took the time to find a Hmong artist for the cover and to ensure words were pronounced accurately in the audiobook. And the interior art of the book features like some common Hmong designs, which was really cool that they took the time to research that. I haven't quite gotten to the marketing part with Rick Ryden Presents yet. And, you know, things do look very different now, of course, than they would have a couple years ago. But I feel like the main difference is that their outreach seems to be much more school and library focused than my YA books have been. And that makes sense because these are middle grade books, but they're organizing a book tour, which is very cool. And yeah, I, I just think I've been very fortunate. <laughs> That's great. Well, I love, I love kind of the diverse experience you've gotten. You've seen the small side, the bigger side, got a lot of different perspectives, which has probably really helped you be your own best advocate because you know what's possible. But for our listeners, what would you say as some pros and cons are of a smaller publisher? So it depends on what you want from your publisher. Like a large publisher will have more resources, generally a broader reach, more marketing money. It doesn't guarantee that your book will get that marketing money though, I should point out. Like large publishers release so many books a year that unless you're a lead title and you have absolutely no control over whether you're a lead title or not, you're, you probably won't get you know, like the paid for book tour or sent to conferences or the billboard ads in Times Square, you'll still get a decent amount of exposure because there's a certain level of visibility that comes simply from being with a larger publisher, a much more like a much like one of the big fives. And you never know, your book could be a lead title. But the flip side of being with a large publisher is that there's the risk of your book being lost within the shuffle of like the two or three dozen other books in their catalog. Um, so with a small publisher, one of the cons is that they might not have those resources, but a pro is that you'll more than likely get much more individual individual attention because their list will be so much smaller. And I've definitely felt that with Page Street. I've never felt like I was an, like another author in their lineup. I, it was always very personalized and very lovely. And a lot of small pub publishers still do those things, like, you know, sending their authors to book book festivals and conferences. It's not a thing that you will absolutely not be allowed to do or not like get the opportunity to do, depending on the small publisher. Um, and it's not always about marketing either. You know, like a small publisher, again, will feel more welcoming and personalized and they'll they'll be willing to take risks with book covers or unconventional formatting or what have you, like a sky sky skyscape you know um going along with our, our writing contest that we organize i've heard a lot of authors who go with small publishers say that they felt like they were more involved in the process and again that's something i experienced as well and allowed greater say in the art and the title and promotional campaigns page street actually scrapped like two entirely different cover concepts for my book because they they sent me of the first one and i, I just i wasn't 
crazy about it and I was afraid of expressing my like concern because I was just like I don't want to be a, a, a um difficult author but at the same time this is my book cover and I'd really love for it to be cool um and they were they were so like cool about it they're just like oh yes absolutely you want we want you to love it so they scrapped it and they came up with a different idea and then I didn't even have to say anything oh sorry I just bumped my earbud on my ear <laughs> like um it was I loved their second concept but then they were just like actually scrap this as well we're gonna hire an illustrator to do like a completely original cover for your book and I was just like okay that's awesome and then they asked me for a list of dream artists that I would want for my cover. So I was just like, you know what, I'm gonna go for it. And I put down my dream of my list of dream artists and they got my top choice. That's amazing. <laughs> so that's I was just fantastic. like, that is so awesome. Yes. And Yay. like that sort of thing, you can't expect that from a large publisher. So that was really, really awesome. That's really great. I love the care and attention, maybe a smaller environment allows to be put on your project. Makes everyone come behind it. <laughs> I just want to add, I mean, I'm, all of my books are at big five publishers and as a mid-list author, I definitely feel a lot of what you're saying. I've always been somebody who's been like, who's, I'm, I'm at a bigger publisher, but I am at the bottom of the barrel as far as marketing money goes. And so I didn't have a lot of say in stuff and I felt like I'm always fighting tooth and nail. I'm like, pay attention to me. You're the one publishing my book. So I totally, I, I mean, I, I'm living that experience. It's really, really cool to be there, but there are downsides. Yeah. So authors just kind of have to decide what's out there, decide kind of what path you want to take, because it sounds like they're, they're both pretty different. Um, we're about out of time for this portion of the podcast. Does anybody have any final thoughts before we move on? I did want to ask really quick if there's something that, that helps as far as um, like things that people should look out for, because you talked about smaller publishers versus micro publishers versus mid, like middle <laughs> of the ground. Sorry, I'm not making any sense. Middle sized publishers. What are some things that help that could help authors to know if they're at a publisher that's going to be able to get them like into bookstores versus an author, uh, a, a publisher that's just going to be online or I know, are there things that people could look out for that might help them know what kind of experience they're going to get? Um, I mean, most small publishers that accept submissions from unagented authors will have all that stuff laid out on their website. And if they don't, then that's sort of a slight red flag because um, there's no reason why they would need to keep that information. You know, there's no reason why they would need to withhold that information. Um, uh, but if you like find a small publisher that you think you really like and you want to submit to them and then you get that contract offer, the absolute best thing you could do would be to talk to the, their current authors. One website I especially like is Absolute Right because they have dedicated forums where people can go anonymously to share their experiences. Um, I think the website might be down at the moment, but I'm hoping it comes back soon. Um, but that is a great option. And then if you're comfortable, definitely reach out to authors to ask because for things like the cover and how thoughtfully their books are put together you can get an idea of that simply looking at you know their current releases and their website but actually hearing what the author experience was like and um, what the editorial process was like and how well those authors feel their books are being marketed that unfortunately you can't really know that unless you talk to someone who's gone through the process and that doesn't apply just to small publishers i should add like that's something to think about for all publishers that's great advice now we'll go ahead and move on to... Just oh, really quick. <laughs> I think one thing that's really important when you're looking at publishers is to think, what are they bringing to the table here? Because when you write a book, 
what you are essentially doing is signing over the rights to publish it to somebody else and they get a big chunk of your profits. And so if they're not actually bringing anything to the table, then you don't want to do that. So, I mean, are they bringing in distribution? Because like, like Page Street is distributed by Macmillan or like we have, we, I just moved away from Utah. Um, there's a, a small publisher there that Kristen works for the other member of our podcast who is not here right now, who they're distributed through um, Simon and Schuster. Like if they can distribute books to huge bookstores, like that is a great plus. But if they're not bringing that to the table or they're not bringing like uh, editorial or a lot of the things that you mentioned, if they're not bringing that to you and they're just saying, just give us the rights to your book, that's definitely something to consider. Yeah. And, and if it's worth what you're giving up. It is fair if you don't want to do any of that stuff, like the editing and the cover and, you know, the typesetting of your book. Like, that's fair if you don't want to do that and you, you're okay with, like, having a publisher who might just be, like, digital only. If they're, especially if they're a reputable, reputable publisher, you know, they'll have uh, already, they already have readers who know that they, you know, what kind of books that that publisher will produce. So that's totally fair if you don't want that sort of responsibility. Um, I don't. <laughs> that's just me. me I don't want to do any of that. <laughs> I like writing um, books, not all that other stuff. But definitely, if you are an author who cares about having your book inside physical bookstores, then that's something to consider as well. Very true. Very true. All right, great. For our last few minutes, we're going to take a look at our audience submission for this week. If you'd like to check out the text of it for yourself and see our notes, you can view our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. And you can also find our submission guidelines there and submit a first chapter critique. Submit for a first chapter critique if you dare. <laughs> so a summary of this week's submission. Living in a castle made completely out of trees and plants, a princess finds out her father has just been assassinated and that her fight to become queen might be harder than she first imagined. What are some things we liked about this chapter? I liked the world building. I thought it felt um, natural. I liked how um, details were layered in. One of my favorites was um, the part about the luminescence of mushrooms. <laughs> like, I thought it's such a cool detail that felt actually really natural within the narrative. And I loved all the little hints that the palace was constructed of trees without outright saying it. Um, and then there's uh, like, you know, there's the water beast and there's tree spirits. And I love all these little fantasy um, creatures that um, pop in and out. It, it just sounds like a really fascinating world. And I want more, I actually want more of these details um, so that the setting can be even more visualized. Related to that, I don't think there was ever any description of the characters, so I didn't know how to envision them, but like, so that, you know, that's part of the details that I would love to see more of. Um, and then I'm fond of how in 11 pages, we see so many different facets of Polaris's personality. Like she's reading this romance novel as escapist fiction, which is totally relatable. Um, but then we learn that she's got these really big concerns that she's escaping from. And she seems to be this really magically powerful person, but she also wants to escape from those obligations. Um, but at the same time, even though she wants to escape from them, she's committed into her in her response responsibilities and she isn't willing to give that up so easily to her brother so it is interesting how like you know 11 pages but we actually get a pretty good idea of like all these different sides to this character which i liked and then i liked the um the back and forth the not affection not so subtle threats between her and her brother um even though they don't trust each other and they're at odds about what to do um, and who's going to rule next, you can still tell that 
this is a well-worn relationship. Even though they're threatening and insulting each other, they're they're used to one another, and that the, you can tell that there's history there, and possibly even a shared grief over their father. Because I, I don't know, but that would be I I just I find it intriguing. Complicated sibling relationships always work for me. <laughs> and then, and then I love the mystery of who would kill a dying king. That is such a great line. Oh yeah, I could almost see it as a tagline for the book. Like I love that. What are some things that might need a second look? Hey, I had some things I liked too, but that's okay. And we haven't heard from Cameron yet today. He's been very quiet. Well, second, so there um, are a couple, a couple of specific details I liked. Um, uh, tying into the magical tree constructed castle, there's a bit talking about how like the trees are weeping dead leaves for the dead king, and I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I also enjoyed. We're just talking about it, but like the lampshade. That yeah, it's kind of odd to assassinate a king who's already dying. So I like the you know character competency that we see through those interactions and and to echo um, another thing Lori said I really like the the layers of motivation complexity that we get from our POV where yeah she's got the escapist thing yeah, she has responsibilities but she is you know she's sticking with them in spite of all the stuff I like that she's not doing the typical do we actually know if she's a teenager do we get an age. It's so YA, probably, so I would yeah. So we we don't we don't get the typical YA thing where you swing hyper violently to one side or the other, where it's all I have to get away, or all no, this is my life and I will do anything for it. Um, I like the more nuanced balance that we get. I also um I really liked. So she stole this book that she's reading that is a very steamy romance apparently, and I love that she gets interrupted in the middle of the steam and is very embarrassed about it. <laughs> um. And um, I love her description of having to steal it because it very clearly sets up her place in the hierarchy of, of where she lives and what she does and what she can and can't do. Um, and also the lengths to which she is willing to go in order to get what she wants, even if she has to do it in secret, which I thought that was really great character building. Um, I loved the line, I dislike Barristan. He's excellent at challenging everything I suggest, which is awesome. Um, says a lot about both characters. And Polaris is an awesome name. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> I also really love the world building, a lot of the things that Cameron and Laurie already mentioned. So I will let those lie. And then Kalia already asked us to start talking about things in need a second. Month, so we can move to that if you guys want. Okay. Um, so while I liked, I, I really liked her, you know, it opening up with her, like reading the romance novel and like, you know, finding out that she had stolen it and all that stuff I do also feel like it might set the wrong tone I, I I feel like this was deliberate on the author's part and but I'm not sure how I feel about it I was quite charmed by her stealing the novel and reading it and like wishing she had those fictional she had what those fictional characters had um there's this line in particular about what she had to do to acquire it like all these different things that she had to do to acquire it which which it but it's set like a very lighthearted, humorous tone. Then there's this abrupt about face where you find out, whoa, she's just trying to escape from into this imaginary world for a while because her father is dying and she's miserable. So I don't know if that worked for me personally, just, but I don't, I also don't want to lose that because it was great. <laughs> so I don't know what the answer is here, but um, I think if like, I, I don't know, maybe just, not making that opening quite so lighthearted and humorous might or i don't know to seed in the idea that there's more going on there um which which she kind of does with 
which they kind of do with um um talking about like her her future like she might not have a love a marriage of like um a love a love match sorry i couldn't find the words so there was that i agree actually i had a really hard time getting a read on her through the whole thing because we have like her stealing this book and really into this romance novel that's really light and cheery like where he was mentioning and then um when she gets interrupted she's like my father is dead and i was like oh okay like i had no idea that was coming and she seems very very dry and cold about it and then i was really confused about how she actually felt about it later too because she's very analytical and like very cold in the way she's thinking about it like she gets a little bit excited or upset when she's like oh he didn't just die he was assassinated oh this is interesting now but then when she talks to her brother and the way that they talk to each other over their father's dead body like it was it was very cold and and at the same time she's also like being very gentle and like loving to her father physically like there are physical cues that she liked him. i have no idea how she felt about her dad <laughs> through that whole thing so that was one thing that i noticed Yes, what you mentioned about them talking over his dead body, like I was, I was very confused as to why they were having such a lengthy conversation over his body. Like there wasn't anyone in the room investigating the crime scene. Um, it was just the two of them arguing about succession and power and what to do, which is not to say that, you know, royals don't do that. But um, I wasn't sure what they were waiting for or why they carried on so long. I also didn't feel much urgency from either of them about catching who just murdered their father. And I know it stated that the, you know, like, you know, the, the city is being closed down and they're searching for the killer, but even even knowing that he was dying um, and that they'd made their peace with it, it still felt bizarre that they weren't, they didn't feel more urgent about catching a murderer, a king killer, you know, um, in their palace. And then, let's see, one specific question I had was, if was, is how the magic works. If Barristan couldn't even get close to the bed because of the knife, why can her brother presumably can, even though he has less magical talent? Is it the knife that's keeping anyone, everyone from like being able to handle this crime scene? Or, or I, I, so I wasn't sure how that works, how that worked. Or, and then there's a line also where she's said she's given nothing to do. And then again, which contradicts what she'd said previously about having all her time filled up with meetings and listening to the complaints of their subjects. So those are a couple specific questions I had. Going along with what you said, actually, um, I feel like I was a little bit ungrounded through the whole thing. Like, I loved all of the setting little snippets and details that we got. And all of you guys were like, they were so amazing. And it wasn't right on the page. And it was subtle. And I was like, but there are so many, like, gorilla in a phone booth moments for me where they're like, and there was a beast in the in the water. And I was like, what about the beast? Tell me more about the beast. <laughs> or, like, the fairies that were all, I, I was like, please give me more. I need more of this. So um, I, I really wanted just a little bit more, and I think Lori mentioned this, just a slightly clearer picture of where we were and, like, of the character herself and, like, the situation. It felt like we went immediately into this, like, political intrigue. It was probably this country and probably this and probably that. And my brother might have been involved, I thought, for it's a second. It's a lot of information and a lot of names lot. thrown yeah. into a very short number of pages. Like, a lot of information or just a lot of things for a reader to remember at one. Yes. 
And it's saying something that I'm not sure the author is trying to say about the characters to have them immediately go to, like, it was probably these people or it was this, like, intricate political situation, which is so cool. I can I can feel how layered this world is, but the way the information is given right now is quite confusing. Um, and, like, as her and her brother are talking, I'm like, is this, like, murder TM royal family where everybody is always trying to kill each other? And if that was the case, then why is her brother waiting until now? Like, why did they wait? Why didn't they grab power? Where while their dad was sick and and that doesn't seem to be the case but the way they're talking to each other makes me feel like they kind of are that murdery family who don't care about it like I just I had a hard time getting a read on these people <laughs> that's our time for today um but to this author thank you so much for submitting and Lori thank you so much for coming on the podcast <laughs> thank you so much for having me this was a lot of fun listeners be sure to check out her books our next guest will be Axia O, oh, the author of Rebel Soul, Rogue Hearth, XOXO, coming out July 13th, and The Girl Who Fell Beneath the Sea, coming out February 22nd, 2022. If you'd like a critique from Axie, submit your chapter by June 24th. If you like what you've heard, please check out our new Patreon page, where you can get bonus content like hot seat critiques, early episode access, and a writing group experience with Lit Service crew members. It takes a whole team of creatives to make Lit Service, and patrons help us keep going. Thank you to all of you who have already become patrons and are keeping us on the air. Thanks to our assistant, Chelsea Mortensen, who does all our social media, and Craig Harris, who's on sound design. We couldn't do the podcast without them. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome, or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on social media or email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. Please remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps us grow. Thanks for listening to Lit Service. We'll see you in two weeks.